Today, we commence our fight for the people of Florida. And then there were three. People across the state are disgusted by what is happening. And Annette Tadeo, now among the Democrats running for governor. And this is actually the very first election under the new law. It's election season. Do you know where your ballot is? You need to go check. Early voting is underway. From the race to replace Elsie Hastings in Congress. My dad used to say to me, boy, be your own boss man. Two big races in South Florida cities. If not to shut his big mouth. Candidates looking to unseat a powerful Miami commissioner. I'm an attorney and an activist, and soon your new city commissioner. It's all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. South Florida elections are underway. Races that will chart the course of South Florida's future. Early voting in these city elections may not draw a big voter turnout, but the results are critical for the future of city services like police and fire, water and sewer, planning and zoning, and of course, climate change. These elections also are the first time since the legislature tightened rules on mail-in ballots. So we begin this hour with the race that is still a year away, but does seem much closer. State Senator Annette Tadeo of Miami-Dade launched a campaign for Florida governor this week. Democrats now have three candidates to consider to have one statewide races. Ag Commissioner Nikki Freed and Congressman Charlie Crist, who previously was Florida's first go or governor, although he was a Republican at the time. Now add to the list of candidates, State Senator Annette Tadeo, a business owner, a mother, and right now the only Spanish speaker in the race. And she is live with us via Zoom. Good morning. May we call you Annette? <laughs> Please. Okay, please good do. morning, Annette, and great to have you here. And um, I guess the first question on everyone's mind is you've been thinking about it and telegraphing a possibility, a run yeah. for governor. So what was it that tripped the decision? Well, first of all, I did. I, I traveled all over the state asking people what they thought we should do and if I should run. And actually, the calls got bigger and bigger and more uh, often as we... Uh, more time went by, but ultimately, at the end of the day, first and foremost, I'm a mom with a kid in public school, and I can tell you that we have a governor that is not worried about the well-being of Floridians, let alone when he crossed the line with our kids, and that was it. I couldn't stand in the sidelines anymore and not fight for our state to have someone that actually will represent all Floridians, not just those voters in Iowa that he seems so worried about our current governor. Yeah, and that obviously before you can get to Ron DeSantis, you have to beat Nikki Freed or Charlie Crist to win the nomination. They are, you know, they have established campaigns. They've been out on the campaign trail for months. They have raised a lot of money. In August, Charlie Crist raised $545,000. Uh, what is it about their campaigns that you think hasn't succeed hasn't succeeded, and why will yours? Well, first of all, let's remember that in 2018, both candidates who ended up being the nominees were not the ones that everybody said were going to be or weren't the favorite, and nobody thought they would be, both on the Republican side with Ron DeSantis and on the Democratic side with Andrew Gillum. So if we choose uh, to say that underdogs don't have a chance, we choose to ignore history. But with regards to my opponents in the primary, look, obviously, 
I have great respect for Charlie and I know he has a huge heart. Uh, but this race is not about Charlie. It is not about Nikki or is it is not about me. It's about the future of our party as Democrats and the future of Florida. And who can bring the coalition of voters that is going to be necessary for us to win? Obviously, part of that coalition is going to include Hispanic voters where Democrats lately have been doing not so well. And I am glad that I am somebody that has actually been able to fight back on the attacks that they throw at, at Democrats and been able to be successful creating that coalition and we will do it across the state. Okay, so so that was a little bit of an understatement, especially in Miami-Dade, because Hispanics in Miami-Dade creamed the Democrats, I think is probably a better or more apt description in the last elections. And so you hit upon a very interesting angle. So kind of let's go with that right now. Um, it, it is for voters. It is about you and Charlie Chris and Nikki Freed at the moment because Democratic voters have to pick between you. So as the Hispanic in the race, talk a little bit about the socialism tag that was so successful for the GOP and, and campaigning in South Florida, how it really stuck, how you are going to be combating that kind of label for, for a party, many of which in the party has policies that can be tagged with a socialist kind of mantle factually speaking for many people. How are you gonna how are you gonna combat that? Well first of all I I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that uh, there are many voters right now uh, who would never send back their social security check and that to some people I guess would be considered socialism. But let me say what I've done and why I know that I would be the best candidate uh, not just in the primary but in the general to beat Juan DeSantis. And that is because they tried that on me. They tried, they didn't just call me a socialist and a comunista, they also called me a terrorist sympathizer. And we didn't take it in the chin. We did not respond because it's ridiculous. We actually responded head on with my personal story and how my father was kidnapped by the FARC terrorist group in Colombia. I had to come to Alabama of all places to live by myself because we had to flee. And these are the experiences, not just of me, but of so many Hispanics right here in South Florida, but yes, they have been successful in taking them away from voting for us. But we need to bring them back and not scare them, but at the same time be proud of being Democrats and all the things we stand for. I have been a lifelong Democrat, have fought for our values and do not diverge from them. And that is what we need. Yeah. Uh, Annette, obviously, you were born in Colombia. Your father was an American, a pilot, as you say. He was captured. But, you know, when we talk about being able to appeal to voters, Hispanic voters in Spanish, speak their language, uh, you're not saying, gee, they're just going to vote for me because I'm appealing to them in Spanish. They want to hear your ideas about the economy and about health care and all the other issues that are really before the state. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone should vote for someone simply because they're a woman or simply because they're a mom or simply because they're a small business owner or simply because I speak Spanish. But clearly, we need to talk about our experiences and what we stand for. And that's what I do. And that's what I've done 
winning in a current Trump district and being very popular in it because I represent all people, not just those that vote for us. And that is not what we currently have. And I will tell you, I do have big differences. To this day, I still meet a payroll every two weeks with my small business. And I know how tough these times have been for business owners, for us to make it through COVID. I know how tough it has been for us as parents to worry about our kids and their education and to have to fight a governor who's threatening to take people from their from their position that they were duly elected. Um, this is the kind of thing, taking defunding schools, taking money away from county, counties just simply because they're not doing what he says. He's not the emperor. This is what Maduro in Venezuela does. And we need someone that's actually going to work for all Floridians. So that's how we're going to win this race, talking about the issues and pushing back. But it's actually the current governor who is behaving like, you know, like a dictator. Okay, so let me, um, because he's not here, I will just say the, the current governor does have his support. Uh, the legislature is a GOP-run legislature right now. And to get there to that race, there's three people right now. And if you look at the policies and perspectives and platforms, you and Charlie and Nikki and Annette have, um, we're, we're all well familiar with all of you and first name basis and familiar with your positions and there's not a lot of daylight there at all you're very simpatico uh, as candidates mm -hmm. so how uh, we talked a little bit about your heritage and the and the spanish speaking abilities and besides that policy wise how do you differentiate yourself between these other two candidates well, you know, I think I, I have been in the legislature fighting the fight and, and on our values and don't divulge from them. I mean, I don't get away from them. And one of those is expanding Medicaid. Look, uh, people uh, watching us need to know that the only reason we haven't expanded Medicaid is because we have a governor that's not willing to. I know we have the votes in the legislature, even though it's Republican held. And I will tell you, for those of you listening and saying, I have insurance, it doesn't matter to me. Yes, it does. There's a hidden tax of $2,000 in your uh, health care every time you go to the hospital. But that people don't know this, and it's really important for us to understand that we're all paying for politics because they're playing politics with people's lives. And this $2,000 doesn't come from Annette Bedeo. Right. It comes from the Chamber of Commerce study. There are many other issues that are going to separate us. All right, we're, 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 uh, and excuse me, we're going to get to a lot of other issues with you in just a minute. Please don't go away, everybody. We'll be back with Annette today. Welcome back on This Week in South Florida. We are speaking with Annette Tadeo, state senator, candidate for governor. Um, Annette, I have to say, I didn't really hear an answer to Glenna's question. What sets you apart from Nikki Freed uh, and, and um, you know, any other candidate who is running, Charlie Crist, any candidate? What, what issue sets you apart? Well, first of all, I am a lifelong Democrat and have been fighting the good fight for Democrats and our values. All right. Can I just for, jump in? Can, I'm sorry. Can I just jump in and say in 2014, you ran as Charlie Chris running mate. You didn't yes. raise questions then about his bona fides as a Democrat. Now you are. 
No, I am. This is not about Charlie. This is about me. You asked me about me, right. and I'm telling you that I have been fighting at these values, and I know. Let me tell you, going all across the state, talking to people, receiving the phone calls. What they wanted was a fighter, somebody who has been there in the fight and doesn't give up and someone that can create the coalition that we're going to need to win. Look, we've tried everything else and we have come short every single time. And I was right there in 2014 when we tried. Uh, but the fact is, we definitely have a deficit in South Florida and we know it and we need to get those voters back. Because DeSantis, uh, you know, is going to get those voters if we don't fight with all our might to get them back. I will tell you, we do have Al Demings running for Senate. And I know that a Demings today ticket would be exactly what we need to create the coalition of voters that we need to win. And also, just really talking about all the experiences, not just in the legislature fighting for the things that we value, but also just personal experiences as a business owner, as a, as a mom with a kid in public school. These are all major differences that are going to bring people to us to vote and to win, not just in the primary, but in the general. Let, let me ask you about uh, just in the past couple of weeks, you know, bills are being filed for this session. You filed a, a slew of them, redistricting related, um, wages and benefits related, Medicaid expansion you were just talking about related. You know, Florida is, at the moment, is a red state, traditionally purple, but right now is a red state. Do you have any hope that any of these bills will have any traction? And as, as you run and sound very excited about the possibility for Democrats, and I know excitement is a hugely important component of a campaign, the, the reality on the ground right now is that the Republicans are in control. Look, the Republicans are in control, and that's actually part of the reason why we need to ensure we win. This is not just for Democrats. This is for all Floridians, because we need balance. It's been way too long of no balance, no back and forth, no, like I just said, passing Medicaid expansion, which the votes are there, no leadership. And you may ask yourself, well, how are you going to do that? when it's going to continue being a Republican House and a Republican Senate, well, you have the veto pen. And you also have to have respect across the aisle, which I do, highly respected across the aisle. I actually get bills passed, but not just that. I actually work with them to try to accomplish yeah. things for the betterment of Floridians. Right. And that's the uh, kind of governor we're going to need. Yeah, and that, if you can, in about 15 seconds or so, during the legislative session, which begins in January, you can't raise money for your campaign. How are you going to get around that? Look, we have a plan uh, to make sure that we raise resources before then and after then. And I will tell you that for sure, money is not everything, but we will have the necessary resources for people to know that we are on the ticket and that they have an option of someone that will actually create the coalition necessary for us to win in November. Annette Tadeo, the most recent entry into Florida governor's race. Great to have you, and we Thank will you. see you on the campaign trail. See Thank you out you. there. <laughs> All right, early voting is now underway, but there are some changes you need to know about before you cast your ballot. And we will meet more candidates running for South Florida's open congressional seat. All that is next. Stay tuned.
The passing of longtime Congressman Alcee Hastings in April opened a race to fill that seat in the 20th Congressional District. That's parts of Broward and Palm Beach counties. Eleven Democrats and two Republicans are running, and early voting sites in Broward and Palm Beach counties are open right now. Local 10 News reporter Trent Kelly is at one of those voting sites in Fort Lauderdale. Trent, good morning. Got any business there? Any voters? Yeah, Michael and Glenna, no doubt a very crowded ballot for this special election. The polls, though, not so crowded. In fact, if you take a look behind me, you can see in the couple of hours that we've been here at this particular early voting location, you can literally count the number of voters we've seen on one hand. In addition to this being an off-year election, this is also the first one to be held since the governor signed that new election bill, SB90, into law, and it's already causing some confusion, especially when it comes to voting by mail. A slow start to early voting in Broward County today. This was the scene outside the African American Research Library near Fort Lauderdale, where poll workers far outnumbered any voters. On the ballot is the choice to fill the congressional seat once held by the late Alcee Hastings. The special election becoming the first since the state passed a new controversial election law under the guise of improving election security. Now, in order to vote by mail, the new law requires either a Florida driver license number, a state ID number, or the last four digits of a social security number. As a result, Pompano Beach realtor Larry Wallenstein says he got this letter from the supervisor of elections telling him he could not vote. There's absolutely no reason that they have to collect all of this data. You need to go check. Broward election supervisor Joe Scott says he's just obeying the new law, even if he doesn't agree with it. He's now sending out more than 73,000 letters to Broward voters, warning them their voter information is incomplete. I'm certainly not um, in favor of the um, new obstacles that are being put between uh, the voter and the ballot box, um, but this is the law of the land. Yeah, so if you got one of those letters in the mail, make sure to get that taken care of. Again, the polls now officially open for early voting here at some select sites across Broward County. They will be open from now until the Sunday before Election Day from 10 in the morning until 7 at night. We've got more information on early voting and everything else you need to know about this special election. That's on our website, local10.com. Reporting for This Week in South Florida, I'm Trent Kelly, Local 10 News. Trent, thanks so much. Trent, thanks. All right, since April, when Elsie Hastings died, the 800,000 or so people who live in the 20th Congressional District have not had a voice in Congress. There are 13 people running to be that voice. 11 are Democrats, and in this overwhelmingly Democratic district, one likely will be the winner. We hosted three last week, three candidates today. Again, and all of them today are current state lawmakers. State Representative Bobby DeBose of Fort Lauderdale, State Representative Omari Hardy of West Palm Beach, and State Senator Perry Thurston of Fort Lauderdale, and all had to resign their elected state positions when they became candidates for Congress. And it is really great to have all three of you with us today. Hello, everyone. Hey, hi, how Hello. are you? Welcome. We are, we, are so, we are so glad you are here. Uh, Bobby DeBose, let me begin with you. I kind of go through some uh, issues that may not take a long time, but let's begin with reproductive rights. Are you in support of the Roe versus Wade decision? And uh, are you concerned that the Supreme Court 
is going to hear both the Texas case and the Mississippi case in the next uh, few days? Uh, the answer would be yes, I, I, I am uh, supportive of Roe v. Wade. I'm supportive of a woman's right to choose what's best for her. I'm really concerned um, at this new law and the fact that it's something that's being introduced in Florida. I think that we have to take extreme measures to protect a woman's right. I don't think that it, a man should have the right to tell a woman what to do and that we should stay out of a woman's business. It's just that simple for me. Yeah. Omari Hardy, uh, let you ask you to weigh in on that. What is your position on the Roe decision? I support Roe versus Wade, but I also support the additional rulings that have come from the Supreme Court since then, uh, which provide women additional protection, saying that states can't place undue burdens on their ability to exercise this right. And that is also at stake in these upcoming Supreme Court cases and the decisions that will follow. And I am very concerned that this court, which was stacked uh, by President Trump uh, with partisan ideologues. Remember, there are two Supreme Court justices who sit in seats that were stolen, not just from President Obama, but also from President Joe Biden. And this court seems poised to not only overturn uh, protections against the undue burdens, but also they seem poised to overturn Roe versus Wade. So I think we have to not only codify these decisions into federal law, but I think we need to expand the Supreme Court uh, to really protect not just a woman's right to choose, but also our voting rights and other rights that have come under attack. Yeah, expand it, expand it, uh, Omari, by how many? Four new justices? Three? What would you do? Four new justices. Harry Thurston, uh, we've just expanded the question from <laughs> from abortion and right to life rights <laughs> to expanding the Supreme Court. Go. Right. Now, Way in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I um, certainly support Roe versus Wade, and I think that it's the law of the land and it should remain so. I support the Women's Health Protection Act. I think that it provides those additional uh, protections, and uh, abortion is health care. So without a doubt, and I don't think that with the current makeup of the Supreme Court, it's a question of if they will attempt to overturn it. It's more like a question of when. And I don't look at it as an expansion of the Supreme Court. I look at it as upright, bringing the courts to where it was. You know, there were seats that were stolen. Well, we've got to address how do we get there to correct that situation. That may be expanding or that may be term limits. There are a number of things that I think should be on the table that we need to talk about if we're going to protect the rights that's been gained in the past to make sure as we move forward, we don't have that issue. Bobby DeBose, next question. Uh, why don't you start us off on the question of revolving health care? Last week, we had three other candidates, two of which were actually in the health care business. Of the 800,000 or so people who live in District 20, one in five of them remain without health insurance despite the Affordable Care Act under President Obama, but, uh, despite those exchanges. Uh, that's a pretty staggering amount in that district. And how do you overcome that? I think the way we overcome it is we have to address it on the federal level. Uh, since I've been in the state legislature under two governors, we refuse to expand Medicaid, which is a result of individuals not having coverage. And as the pandemic has shown us, it has literally been the difference between life and death. So it's definitely something that we have to do on the federal level, create a program where we can go directly to the people and not through the state.
Yeah. Uh, Omari, beyond expanding Medicaid in Florida or accepting billions of dollars from Washington, uh, some of your opponents, not the ones who are here, some of your opponents last week said they favor Medicare for all. What about something like uh, changing the eligibility age of Medicare to, say, 55? Is that something you could support? Look, uh, I support lowering the Medicare eligibility age to the age of a newborn. Uh, I believe in Medicare for all. Uh, we are the richest country in the world. It's unconscionable uh, that we have nearly 30 million people in this country who have no health coverage. It's unconscionable that nearly 20,000 people a year die because they don't have health coverage. And that's simply because some folks don't have the money in their pocket to pay for the care that could save their lives. We have enough resources in this country to ensure that every person has access to health care. I think Medicare for all is the best and most efficient way to do it. Uh, they say that it would cost about $30 trillion over 10 years, which is about $3 trillion a year. Uh, but guess what? We spend $3.8 trillion a year on health care right now. Uh, so in reality, it would save the country about $800 billion a year. But we just have to be okay with getting insurance companies and their profits out of the way. And that's why I believe in Medicare for All. Perry Thurston, do you believe in Medicare for All? What's your position on that? I, I believe, and thank you, Glenna, I, I believe in Medicare for All who want it. Those people who are happy with their policies, I think we should find a way to make sure that they can keep the health care that they have. That's the problem that we had before. It's not always a zero-sum game. And what I think is this. When we, uh, it's easy to say those things, but it's a different thing to fight for. So what, I, what I'd say is this. We should have expanded and accepted $50 billion that we turned down. I was a leader in the House at the time. And quite frankly, you may remember, as the leader, I shut down the House and my team to make sure that the uh, state and the leadership understood that this was that important to us. So I think that certainly Medicare for all who wants it, and certainly uh, if you have a, pro a policy, if you like it through your business, you should be able to keep it. Um, you know, I think we have some other serious issues to get to with you gentlemen. So let's go ahead and take a kind of an early break here. When we come back, I want to ask each of you about the U.S. Uh, relationship with Israel, BDS, and uh, the Iron Dome. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back. We are joined live and virtually by State Representative Bobby DeVos of Fort Lauderdale, State Representative Omari Hardy of West Palm Beach, and State Senator Perry Thurston of Fort Lauderdale. They are all running for the congressional seat in the 20th District. Uh, Omari Hardy, um, you, you know, you all three know that Elsie Hastings was a very, very strong supporter of Israel, traveled there often, supported Israel in every way in Congress. Uh, Omari Hari, you told me in an interview uh, recently that if you had been a member of Congress when the vote came up on one billion additional dollars for the Iron Dome anti-missile system, you would have voted against it. Why would you? Well, I appreciate you for mentioning that it was for $1 billion additional dollars. Uh, we have already this year uh, given Israel $3.8 billion, $3.8 billion 
in military aid, 500 million of which went toward the Iron Dome system. Over the past five years, we have given Israel almost $3 billion in funding for the Iron Dome. And so I think that at some point it's okay to draw a line. We are committed to providing Israel this $3.8 billion in military aid every year through 2026. There was uh, an additional expenditure that was asked for. And I think it's okay to say, being as we've already provided you with $3.8 billion this year, uh, for Israel to cover that expense on their own, and we will continue to provide support uh, in the future. And, and, you know, for me, this isn't about whether you support or oppose the Iron Dome. It's about who should fund the cost of the Iron Dome. And I think it's okay, given that we've funded so much of it thus far, to ask Israel to share their part of the burden for their security. I, I want to take it up. We, we have so little time, so many people, and apologies for that. But I want to ask a question relative to Alcee Hastings on behalf of voters, because here's Vox Pop. Here's what we're hearing. Alcee Hastings won 15 terms in this district. He had tenure. He had seniority, something that no one in this seat is going to have. But he also had something else, a charisma, uh, something intangible. And we are hearing from voters Literally, they want to know who's the next Alcee Hastings. Perry Thurston, kick us off. What can thank you, you tell and, and voters you. about that? Well, I think that the voters should know that uh, Democrats from Jacksonville to Key West have elected me as their leader in the House, in the Senate, and the Florida Legislative Black Caucus. I'm ready to fill the shoes of Alcee Hastings. I know those are big shoes to fill. But, you know, I met Alcee when I was in law school, and he was a federal district judge. I think they should look at what leadership looks like in the uh, Florida legislature where we serve. And what they should also look to is the men and women of the AFL-CIO who've endorsed me and the teachers' union. You see, working people make up this district. Educators are the one that make up this district. When they had an opportunity to evaluate all of these clients, they selected me as that person, and I'll provide that leadership void that's okay. in existence, and, and not Bob, just by Al C, but others. Yeah. Uh, Bobby DeBose, uh, you, in fact, are a co-leader of the Florida House of Representatives, or you were before you resigned to run for this office. Uh, how would you fill Al C's very big shoes? Uh, thank you for the question. I am still the uh, uh, leader in the uh, Florida House. And honestly, I don't think collectively that we all could fill our Congressman Alcee Hastings' shoes. My desire is to hopefully one day grow into them. And as you spoke to the charisma and Congressman Hastings had a way with people, everyone felt his loss and everyone felt close to him. And he used that in his leadership role and being able to work across the aisles. And that's something that I've been uh, very successful with. In, in my tenure in Tallahassee. And I think that's really important when you think about true leadership. It's okay to scream and yell and shout and fight, but at the end of the day, Congressional District 20 has no room for just that. We need results. We need someone who has a record of working across the aisle and passing major legislation like I did this year as it relates to students with disability, restraint seclusion, a piece of legislation that they're working on in uh, D.C., Congressman Scott is trying to pass where there is over 100,000 plus students 
78% of them are students with disabilities and black boys who have been subjected to this. I've been successful in Florida, and that's something that I'll go to D.C. and do. And I think that is something that the congressman is known for, really being able to work across the aisle and be effective. Let's give a, a chance for Omari Hardy to answer that question as well. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Look, the thing that most people appreciate about Representative Hastings was that he was a fighter for our community. He was an unapologetic advocate for the people in the district. And I think that I fit that mold, uh, not out of a desire to be like Al C, uh, but just because that is who I am, that is who I have been uh, since the day I became a public servant, serving first at the local level, uh, fighting for poor and working class folks in the city of Lake Worth Beach, and also fighting for poor and working class folks and people of color and women in the Florida House of Representatives. And so I think that's important that we elect someone uh, who is going to stand up on behalf of this community because we are in such a unique historical moment. I mean, it wasn't nine months ago that we had an insurrection at the Capitol, and now we have states uh, controlled by Republicans all across the country who are attacking the last 60 years of progress. They're rolling back the clock on voting rights, on women's reproductive rights here in the state of Florida. They're attacking our First Amendment right to go out into the street and protest and to affirm that black lives matter. I think that we should elect someone who understands what the stakes are, who understands that we are fighting for our democracy, and who is then going to act like it. Uh, I have good relationships with folks on the other side of the aisle. But, you know, I have to tell you, it's hard to be friends with folks who are trying to disenfranchise your constituents. And so, uh, for, you know, from for my part, uh, I, I, I'm not ashamed of the fact um, that sometimes Republicans and I get into it because we're getting into it over things that really matter. Yeah, Omari, I'm going to have to jump in here. I beg your pardon. want to thank all three of you. Good luck with your campaigns. Next week, we will hear from three more of the candidates who are running in the 20th Congressional District. And next, Miami voters are weighing in. Keep the mayor and two commissioners or take a chance on some fresh faces. And two candidates who are taking on Commissioner Joe Carroyo are going to join us next. recent firing of Miami's new police chief is the latest example how politics in the city of Miami can escalate into drama and theater. <laughs> and Commissioner Joe Correo is the major actor in the drama down at City Hall. He has been a fixture in Miami politics since he was first elected in 1979 to be a commissioner. He is a veteran of the political chaos in Miami and some might say the prime instigator of it. He is running for re-election. Andriana Oliva, a lifelong Miami resident, a business owner working with social services and nonprofits, and Quinn Smith, an attorney in Miami since law school at UM, who is engaged with various civic boards. They are vying for that seat, District 3 Commissioner. We did invite Commissioner Joe Carroyo to join us, and after some initial contact, he did not respond, and we regret that. We look forward to having him with mm -hmm. us. But good morning, good afternoon, I should say, to you too, and it's great to meet you and have you here. It is great to see you both. Thank you for coming. Uh, Andriana, tell us more about yourself. I know you are the president of your own company, uh, AO uh, Insight, a communications digital uh, purveyor of services. Tell us what you do. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show this morning. So the AO Insight Group is a digital media agency and we work predominantly with nonprofits in our community, ranging in social services, community development, arts and culture, 
And we we just love doing what we do. We have an opportunity to give many nonprofits a voice, an opportunity to share their resources, such as free workshops or free access to immigration attorneys and things of that nature. So it's a very fulfilling job. And because of my philanthropic background that I've had for quite some time now, we are also very involved in the community and offer pro bono services, give back uh, wherever we can and participate wherever we can as well. Quinn Smith, you are an attorney, an interesting perspective. So let's get into some Miami issues. Um, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on how the police chief was fired. It was a almost a month-long process, a lot of drama, a lot of people involved, a lot of accusations on both sides. Give us your sense, if you were a commissioner, how might you have handled that? Well, uh, first off, it was embarrassing. Um, I hear this from constituents all the time. It was a waste of time. We have so many problems that we have to solve. Spend a month on that. As far as myself as a commissioner, you know, we have an obligation of due diligence before we hire somebody for one of the most important positions in the city. I would hope that I would never find myself in that position. But if I were, then I would be sure to be at the, at the city commission, at the meetings, and advocating for citizens and residents to make their voice heard, which often they weren't, and working to reduce the proceedings and not have them drag on and on and, and turn into this circus that drew so much negative attention to the city. Yeah. Andriana, in fact, let me ask sort of a, the variation of that question. During that period, which Glenna reported on, I watched, uh, Joe Correo berated over the course of two weeks uh, Art Acevedo. He ran a video of him, ridiculed him. Do you think that uh, the commissioner's behavior in that period is appropriate for an elected official in the city of Miami? Not at all. I think that the purpose of the meeting, at least the first one, was to approve an investigation. And I think that that's why you have the oversight boards and the investigators and you have them do their job and not waste our taxpayer dollars, our taxpayer resources, our city staff. And so I think the right thing to have done would have been to present all the accumulated evidence that was gathered and submitted to the investigators and then move through the process that way. Let me ask you about constituent services because a lot of people aren't looking at that in the news. That's not what makes mm. the headlines. Joe Carollo has been elected and reelected and reelected because he is in the community. I've seen him um, say what you will about his demeanor on the dais, but his constituents feel like he is serving them, mm -hmm. especially the seniors who live in the subsidized housing. They are the super voters in the city of Miami. I'd like you to address how you would handle, we'll get into some issues as well, but constituent services is what commissioners do. And I'd like to hear from you on that level. Quinn, why don't you go first? Sure, thank you, Glenna. So I think it's important to remember exactly who is receiving those constituent services. I can't tell you how many people that I've helped them, you know, fill out their application for rent relief, help them with their food stamps, help them with the basic services that they need. And so I think what is happening is that there is a focus on some voters who are super voters, but there is really a neglect of the, the majority of, or even more than that, of the constituents that live in the area or in the district. So really the problem is that it's constituent services only for a few, you know, not for everyone. And to me, the way that you address that is that first you have to bring back our net offices to get those services out into the community. And then second, you have to look at the people that you're hiring 
so that they can, you know, help to connect our, our constituents with the services that they need. There are so many people that just don't know where to turn and they're not getting any feedback from, from the commissioner's office or anyone to kind of point them in the right direction. Andriana, do you agree constituent services um, for some and not for all? How would you handle that? Definitely. I, I think Miami-Dade County has over 9,000 nonprofits, right? And we have a ton of them here in our district. And like Quinn as well, I've been connecting people to immigration attorneys, uh, food stamp assistants, uh, you name it, right? And they, while they, some of them have social workers, their social workers don't also know about these organizations. And I'm big on collaboration and partnerships. So I think we need to partner up with more of these organizations, continue to do outreach. Yes, open up the net office again, but we need to be boots on the ground because some people aren't getting visited at all. I met with a senior the other day that's 80 something years old, lives on a third floor of a low income housing uh, apartment building, and they haven't had their elevator working in five years. And so whatever the case is, whether it's the building or the city or the county, we need to be able to remedy that because it's not okay for our seniors to be trapped for weeks at end on a third floor without being able to move around. So continuing to work with the community partners can help also alleviate some of the resources from the city of Miami because you don't know what you don't know, right? So if we're letting them know what resources there are, then they have access to them. Yeah. Quinn Smith, there is a long history in the city of Miami of some nasty mud flying around in races. I am I've seen a flyer that is arriving at mailboxes in District 3 in which you are running that shows you wearing, it's been photoshopped, shows you wearing a red beret the way that uh, Hugo Chavez of Venezuela used to wear one, accuses you of, quote, taking narco-trafficking director Nicolas Maduro money. Uh, what can you say about that fire? Well, I can, I can tell you that I've uh, received so far 14 uh, attack mailers. Uh, you know, I take that as a sign that um, the incumbent is very worried about our campaign. You know, I don't represent any uh, individuals. I don't take any money from, um, you know, Mr. Maduro uh, individually. You know, I represent governments all over the world. Um, so I think that's a typical thing of trying to attack a lawyer for that lawyer's clients. Um, and as lawyers, you know, we, we, have lots of, we have lots of clients, but that doesn't define us who we are as, as people. And, and what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that the more these attacks go on, the more people want to reach out and talk to me. Um, so just so just yesterday, I met with a family in Little Havana that wants to go out and canvas on their block for for me. Um, and so that's that's what I'm seeing. And I I don't think that these kinds of attacks are going to have the impact that's desired. And it's unfortunate that it seems like every race, you know, devolves into this. And and we really need to move on as a community. Uh, I want you to know that this might, may or may not be your first television interview. It's quick. TV is bam, bam, bam. You get a lot in a little time, and uh, our time is up. But I invite you both, if you win that seat, to be a regular guest on This Week in South Florida so that yeah. we can grill you appropriately. <laughs> and uh, great to have you both on. Thank you very much. It would be an honor. Great Thank to you. see you today. All right, we'll be right back.
so great to be with you this hour. If you are in one of those cities with elections, early voting is on. We urge you to go and make your voice heard. And remember, we're online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.